Welcome to the Community Podcast, brought to you by the Community Paper. Since 1989, the Community Paper has been sharing good news happening in downtown Orlando and College Park. Your hosts for the show are Orlando native and the paper's publisher, Debbie Gunter, and Orlando transplant and managing editor, Tommy Cardinal. Welcome back to the Community Podcast. I'm Debbie Gunter. Tommy couldn't be here with us today, but we have Nick Jorgudiu, our producer slash awesome College Park contributor. Hello. Whom we love. And we have a special guest, Speaking Monica. Speaking of love. Yeah, we love, love, love Monica Knotts. Hello. She is also one of our writers. She covers the North Downtown area. And she has been such a great addition to our team. We're so lucky to have found her. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you? Sure. I'm an Orlando native. Um, I grew up actually not too far from here in the College Park area. Um, Went to what is now College Park Middle. So, And then moved uh, out to Altamont for high school. And as soon as I could, moved back out here because I love the downtown area. Now I live in Ivanhoe Village. Um, and yeah, I, I worked in the Mills 50 area for several years. Now I'm in Soto, um, as a hairstylist. Um, so that's the day job. And this is sort of the passion project, you know? When we were looking for someone to cover the, the North downtown area, you just stood out because you, you're from here, you hang out here and you really seem to know the area really well. So hanging out in Mills 50, um, was, you were the perfect person to write the story about what's happening in Mills 50, the metamorphosis of Mills 50, uh, one yeah. of our cover stories for this month. Yeah, I loved writing that story. It's funny, Tommy, uh, I think he assigned, it was like 450 words. He's like, yeah, that'll be enough. I turned in like 1,300. Oh, did you? Um, but I just, you just can't say enough. I love Mills 50. When I first moved downtown, I lived on south mills and i worked on north mills so it was kind of like my whole life you know hanging out there i'm wearing a wally's t-shirt right now so uh the allegiance runs deep um but yeah i just love that area like i found my people there and um and writing this story i got to talk to some of those people and uh kind of get their perspective get the perspective of people who maybe have opposing viewpoints to my own um on the direction that mills 50 is going and Uh, It was really interesting to kind of see how the community all have this sort of common ground around uh, wanting to preserve the culture that has been cultivated there over the last uh, however many years, truly since I think what we think of as like Mills 50 started in like the 70s because there was such a, a... big influx of Vietnamese immigrants. You also had a very strong LGBT community. Uh, Both of those are still thriving today, very prominent. And I think that's just like impacted the overall culture. It's very inclusive there. Um, A a big part of the population appreciates art and our artists. And uh, I think one thing, George Wallace, who is the... um, the CEO of the center on Mills uh, said that, you know, he thinks that a a big reason why so many people 
want to preserve that culture is because not only do they work there, but they live there as well. And so it's it's that kind of community. I think it's become very trendy over the last couple of years, which is cool. I mean, people come in, obviously there's an appreciation for what has been created there. Um, but ultimately, yeah, the people that call it home, I think know what's up. They, you know, they, yeah. they know, they know the spots and, and, there's a certain attitude, I think, of that area that will never go away. So I, I really, really enjoyed cool. writing that story. What have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen over the years in that area? I just think it's funny because I remember I started working at a salon on Mills, um, God, like seven years ago. And... I remember telling my mom, like being on the phone with my mom and being like, oh, I got this great job. It's, it's, um, you know, on like mills and colonial area. And she was like, oh my God, you don't want to work over there. Really? I was like, what do you mean? She, I, you know, there, obviously she'd lived in the suburbs for like a decade at that point. But I think it's just sort of shifted from, uh, I think you can still see it on Colonial a little bit where it, it's kind of in some ways dilapidated and, and it's got a little dirt under yeah, its fingernails. Yeah, it's and that's a, okay. Yeah. It's pretty. It's I, I do. Yeah. I don't mind it, but I really think it's been polished a lot over the last, even even since I've lived downtown. Um, yeah, I mean, Joanne uh, Grant, the the director of the Mills Fifty District. Uh, has put a lot of effort into beautifying the area. Mm -hmm. I know that um, a lot of the businesses on the strip have taken advantage of like the city's beautification programs to to polish up uh, their exteriors of their buildings and and obviously it's working because people are moving in. There's you know the new vegan restaurant there, Planties next to Little Indies, um, and there's a bunch more stuff coming. Um, and so I think there's just been an interest a broader interest uh, from outside communities to sort of get in on the culture that has been, the the culture that's been there, uh, maybe scrape the dirt out from under its fingernails a little bit. Yeah, or keep it there because I think that makes a neighborhood a little more interesting to visit, sure. right? Like it's what, we used to go to downtown and downtown, uh, they put a lot of stuff into place where it made it harder for people to go. It, everything closed at two or the parking was really difficult and everyone started going to like downtown Disney, which is now Disney Springs. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. I still call it downtown I Disney. Uh, I still call it Lake Buena Vista. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's how old I am. Uh, but I, I think there's this desire to go somewhere more authentic. Yeah. Yeah. That for isn't sure. designed. And that's, I think, but it, it's a catch 22 because it's like with the people seeking that authenticity there's always going to be the people looking to capitalize on oh, sure. on those people yeah. you know what i mean yeah. and so so i think that's the push and pull is yeah. do we po what is too polished you know and w at what point do we lose what we came here for uh, the first olive garden goes in uh, it's I'm over out. yeah I'm it's never going over there again. absolutely when you were talking to people um for your story what did you hear anything about what people hope to see like in the future like what still needs to happen over there yeah i think i was it's interesting because obviously you know you're trying to write from a, a non-biased perspective but Obviously, I have my opinions. Um, and so I think in my conversations with people, uh, 
you know, there were some people who kind of thought about it the way that I did, where it's like, oh, man, like, you know, the corporate interest and all this, you know, as, as sort of a bad thing. But I, I think I was really surprised to see how many people um, have an optimism about about that and mm. and think that those things can coexist in one space you know you can have again like george wallace said there's there's the people that come visit and visit wally's as like a tourist attraction mm -hmm. and yeah. there's, there's the people that have been drinking at wally's since you know the 70s or what have mm -hmm. you um and and those two cultures aren't mutually exclusive so i think that that it, it almost changed my perspective a little bit to be you know no one wants no one likes a gatekeeper you know, yeah, no right. one wants to be standing outside of Will's pub being like, you can't come in here. You're you poser, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and I definitely don't want to be that person. I I think one of the best parts about MILF's 50 is how welcoming and inclusive they are. So um, so I think it was great to, to talk to some people and have that shift in perspective where, you know, maybe both of those things can be beneficial to each other mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah well thank you so much for writing that story monica i think it was super interesting and i know our readers really enjoyed it in this month's june paper i really like that story monica and so i think we were on the same page i think with history in this issue because i wrote a little bit about capturing history as well and that was about Jim Hobart's uh, Legacy Life Project. I don't know if you got a chance to see that story. I haven't read it yet. If you, so cool. Okay, so if you go to the story in the paper online, you can actually link to see some of the videos, and I'll talk about them in a second, but just be ready to cry. Okay. Spoiler alert, you're going to cry. So Jim Hobart, you might know from Local Love Orlando, his wife Beth Hobart, and he do a lot of charity work in town. They do a lot of stuff with the uh, Orlando Pride and the Orlando City soccer teams. And anyway, so you've probably heard of them. He opened up recently. He moved Macbeth Studio, his photography studio, from downtown to College Park. It's at the corner of Edgewater and Princeton. And one of the projects he does, besides just general photography, he does drone work, he does aerial photography, is he started up a company called Legacy Life Project. And that was to help capture the story of people um, on video, normally a little bit older, like maybe you want your dad's story or your grandparents' story on video as a keepsake before you know they pass. And so it was a really touching story about where this came from for him. His uh, father unfortunately died suddenly, and uh. you know that was one of his big regrets is he didn't have not only the stories that his dad had, but, you know, the cadence of his speaking mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. even the stories that he'd heard a bunch of times, like having that captured somewhere for him would have meant a lot. And so he started doing it for other people. Wow. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things I thought about was he feels like he can go in and talk to your family member. Like, you could do this, Monica or Debbie. You could mm -hmm. go in and talk to somebody. But because he's a stranger, mm -hmm. they might talk a little bit more openly. They right. might share stuff and details that, you know, they assume that their kids know or that mm -hmm. their grandkids right. know that nobody knew about. Mm -hmm. And so he gets these great stories. And like I said, if you go online and mm. watch some of these oh, preview God. videos... Have some tissues ready. It was a really sweet story. I hope people take advantage of what he's offering because I know having had lost my mom and my grandparents, like I wish my kids knew, especially my grandparents, I wish my kids had gotten to know them. Yeah. And I wish my kids 
um, because they were younger, you know, when my mom died and just knew more about her life and just, and there's things I wish I would have asked her, you know, once they're gone, you can't ask them anymore. And so I really hope people will call Jim and and do this with their parents and their grandparents because it's such a gift to pass down for generations. And the video aspect of it is just as important because he doesn't not he doesn't only just take videos of them sitting down and talking. Yeah. It's them interacting with their surroundings, yeah. doing the stuff that they love and it's it's oh, so, so sweet. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's so sweet. Okay, well that's what I'm doing tonight. I'll pick up some tissues on the way home. Okay, great. <laughs> I'll let you know what I think. <laughs> there you go. Well, why don't we take a break and go watch yeah. a video and cry a little bit. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the coolest story you guys are working on for the next paper. And I can't wait to read it. We'll be right back. If you need a little pick me up, a little more pep in your step, go to your podcast provider and subscribe to your daily dose with Bob and Nick. Your daily dose with Bob and Nick comes out every weekday, five times a week, and every episode is less than 10 minutes. Perfect for your ride to work, or from work, or near work. Now back to the show. Welcome back, Nick and Monica. You guys have been working on a story together for the July issue, and I think it's gonna be so interesting. Tell me about what you guys have learned. This was a lot of fun, and I am so so much more knowledgeable about fashion now and how to determine what an authentic older vintage t-shirt is and how to look for it. So I feel like I can just look at somebody and go poser. poser. Yeah. 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 Welcome to my world. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Monica being the queen of fashion over here, I'm sure she was a great partner to have on this story. No, I think I, I think I kind of forced myself into this because Nick pitched it at a pitch meeting like two months ago. And I was like, wait a minute. Wait, you're not going to do this I want, without I me. I want some of this. Yeah, you're not doing this without me. Absolutely. So the original idea was, you know, what's in fashion right now when it comes to vintage? Because I was thinking about the band t-shirts, right? Like that seemed like it was a big thing. It was a big trend in fashion. And I didn't know about authenticating them and what the value of some of these shirts are. And then, you know, yeah, you, you kind of jumped in and volunteered to work with me on the story. And it was great. Yeah, I had a lot of fun doing it. I was super excited um, to talk to the people that I talked to because I this is like a big personal interest of mine. I, I used to have a vintage resale shop um, during the pandemic online. And so I've spent a lot of time not only, you know, collecting and enjoying vintage fashion for myself, but also on the other side of it. And um, yeah, I've I've been shopping vintage in Orlando since I was in high school. Um, and yeah, I got to speak with red. She goes by red Robin, uh, at deja vu vintage. And she's been in the game since the eighties. And so it was really cool to see like how, from her perspective, how it's evolved. And, and, you know, I think there, as we discussed in the article, there's been a huge shift uh, in the mainstream perception of vintage clothing and, mm-hmm. and a lot of those trends are back and and there's kind of this mentality now too of like anything goes like it doesn't really matter what Vogue is telling you to wear you know you're gonna it's more about what do you like and um, I think vintage plays a huge uh, role in that in that world where people are trying to express themselves more fully through their clothes 
Yeah, because you can find something totally unique at a vintage shop. Whereas, right. you know, you go to the store and nothing's yeah. wrong with that. But for the most part, you're going to see, yeah, yeah, there's 25 of them. And then that's replicated in every other one of these stores. Right, whereas right. you go to the vintage place, you're probably going to be one of the only yeah. ones with mm-hmm. that shirt, jacket, pants, dress, whatever right. it is. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's funny because when I went to uh deja vu she was wearing like a matching set or whatever like a top and bottom matching set and she's like oh yeah i found these separately and there's those moments too where it's like you think this might be one of one and then somehow you come across like another piece and it's 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 like a treasure hunt like it very much is um and i think you know we talked about kind of the differences between thrift and vintage Um, and I think people do both of those things for that reason because yeah you are going to get something unique probably and also the hunt is is you know sort of the sport of it is is very enjoyable as well so what makes something vintage so technically vintage is considered 20 years or older okay um so technically something from 2002 is vintage now wow yeah. Which is yeah. crazy yeah. to think Grimace. about. <laughs> well, and it's authenticated, right, on some level as well, that it's the particular brand or label, or in the case of like the band t-shirts, I want to talk to Alex and Peter, the brothers who own Foundation College Park, and they kind of specialize in records that are not new and t-shirts that are not new. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going back and finding the one that was from the specific tour and making sure that it is that one uh, versus mm-hmm. something that was recently made that's made to look like that or that's made to copy that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because it's, it's kind of combining people, people define themselves by their taste and, and uh, being able to, like you said, rep a band t-shirt that is legitimately from whatever tour in whatever year. um, I think it, it makes people feel, uh, whether they're wearing it or they're just collecting it, it makes them feel closer to the to that art to that you know yeah. artist and uh and I think that's really cool but additionally there's just this idea I think younger generations millennials and and Gen Z uh have sort of a a romantic idea of past trends and past aesthetics and uh even music and that sort of thing Fleetwood Mac is like having a big moment in, in you know 2021 and 2022 Kate Bush with the song Kate from Bush, Stranger Things yes. yeah it's so funny um, my boyfriend has a Kate Bush t-shirt uh, that he's had for like years and he wore it the other day. He's not on the internet, so he hasn't seen any of that. Um, and he's like, I got so many compliments on my shirt today. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's cool. a thing now, you know, but it's funny how those things come back around. And, and you know, I think it's always kind of been that way. Like you'll always see if something's old enough, it's new again, right? But especially now, when people have access to, again, sort of this unregulated archive of everything that's ever been trendy or or fashionable, um, it gives you the freedom to choose what you like in this moment. And it can be from any era. And there's, as, as I think the people that we spoke to affirmed, there's kind of a market for every kind of vintage in Orlando. There's, you know, the the kid the kids. The <laughs> the Gen Z millennial people who 
are looking for the Y2K and 90s fashion um, because that's in with them. And then there's people who just they dress 70s or they dress 80s and and that's their style and or like me you try a little bit of everything because i i think it's all great so um it's really cool to see that 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 has grown over the years um when i was when i was thrifting and and vintage shopping in high school it was i mean you did get better deals back then because no one really knew what they had but uh but it was a lot harder to come by and it was a lot more work. And I think now there's uh, there's such a huge demand for it that people are scrambling to, to you know, to have enough of it. That's that's oh, one thing really? I heard a lot, too, from yeah. from the people I talked to was, you know, sourcing has become more difficult. Yeah, you don't mm-hmm. go on these, you know, you think of this romantic kind of you go picking, right? Yeah. You go yeah. drive around to little thrift shops and little towns, mm-hmm. and that's not really the case anymore. And that's actually, uh, Lisa from Orlando Vintage said that's one of the advantages to having all these options for vintage is if you don't want to go out and yeah. do the thrifting, if you don't want to do the hunt, yeah. and you just want to find the cool stuff, that's what these stores do for you. Right. So are they a little bit more expensive then compared to a thrift shop? Like how, sure. how is it from a cost standpoint? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be more expensive. The more authentic it is, the mm-hmm. more rare it is. Right. Um, so for example, you know, at Foundation, there was a couple of t-shirts that were in the six $700 range. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you had a quote from somebody that said, you know, a little bit ago, $100 seemed like a lot for a yeah. t-shirt, whereas now yeah. people are dropping it because they want they want that artifact, mm-hmm. right? Even if yeah. they, they may not even like the band or, or even, be even into the band. Yeah, Josh Josh from uh, Diversion was the one that said that. And yeah, it is. It's it's way more like socially acceptable to to say I spent $100 on this, on this vintage band tee than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. But also... You have to think about, too, you're paying for vintage. When you speak to an owner of a vintage shop, they'll they'll say it's curated vintage, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. a thrift store is just everything that everyone's ever donated thrown into a store. This is someone has taken the time and done the labor for you to find the gems in the gotcha. you know the diamonds in the rough and bring them before you and that's that's really what you're paying for a lot of the time on top of whatever you know the value of of the because you can see you can see curated in places like decos and avalon yeah. which is not necessarily vintage you might find some vintage pieces there but that's considered resale mm-hmm. um, because they've gone through picked out all the stuff that their clientele might like and they're charging you a little extra for that so not only are you paying that with vintage but you're also paying for the value of the vintage piece because it's probably what they call in the biz uh, dead stock, which okay. means they don't make it anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Another element of this that it was always there, whether it was vintage or thrift, is this idea that you're keeping stuff out of the landfill. Right. Right. By buying this stuff. Mm-hmm. And also by buying this stuff, you know, you're kind of, it's become more of a, a theme with the type of stuff that people get or shopping vintage because of how detrimental they see fast fashion and the way that clothes are produced these days being. And so it's a way of kind of pushing back on that as Mm -hmm, well. I mean, if you think about like the sheer volume of of, you know, clothing and fabric that exists on earth and how long have we been making polyester, right? Since like 
the 70s and that doesn't biodegrade like yeah. she's gonna be there forever for hundreds thousands of years and uh and that that same you know those same sorts of material made from plastics are still being produced at a very high rate, like you said, with fast fashion. And fashion production is the second leading cause of pollution on Earth. Yeah. Um, so it is a huge issue. And there's this mentality now in the fashion industry that they call them like micro trends. Like you have to constantly be pushing new stuff out, creating creating demand essentially for people to keep buying, buying, buying. Um, but at the end of the day, there's so much already out there um, that I think a lot of people are turning to vintage and thrift, like you said, to, to stand out. Because yeah. if everyone's buying the same she in pants or fashion nova dress um or that old navy print t-shirt with the funny right, california right, logo on right. it yeah usa 1995 yeah. yeah it's it's it it's contrived at this point and right. i think this is a generation that is looking to redefine themselves from what mainstream media says that they should like and should want and certainly there's still a population that does buy those things that does fall into that um but i do think it's becoming more popular to reject that idea for sure so i know that uh, orlando vintage does this uh foundation doesn't but they have a big rental business oh really huh. yeah and so you can try it out first to see what works do you want that classic velvet 70s tux maybe you want to rent it first for your wedding or That's you know cool. uh somebody while i was in there doing the interview the other day with lisa smith somebody came in and was asking about an outfit for fourth of july weekend you know that they're just going to rent they're going to try it out see if they like it and then potentially buy it after so you can go in and kind of look at the trends yeah. and see yeah. there was uh, a lot of um it looked like mascot heads in there too really so you can frighten people oh, there's, really? a, there's like a halloween's element Good to, to know. it fun. yeah um very little what i was looking for more is uh, wrestling outfits cuz i don't know that i want to commit to right. an entire right. uh spandex sort of look yet i think but, you could pull it off uh luchador mask yeah. at the very least million dollar sort of idea thing. wrestling rental wrestling rental that's i'm yeah, sure that's it's super gonna be sanitary a big dry cleaning bill. Yeah. or we could spray the stuff they spray in the shoes at the bowling alleys oh yeah that I think does that the trick every time works Foolproof. as well <laughs> um wrestling is something that was a great segue thank you i'm impressed uh wrestling is something that you're i, I just assume you're super interested in oh, because you me? wrote about absolutely. it monica in the last yeah, uh, issue so. yeah you know me um just thrilled no actually i knew nothing about wrestling going into writing this article um i pitched it because mayhem on mills was happening which was like a wrestling event uh that used to be in the parking lot at will's pub this year it was behind 1010 brewery on virginia did they need a little more room um yeah i think i think they were planning on having uh more people and also there's that uh pigza place i forget i don't want to butcher what the no pun intended uh <laughs> what the uh the i think it's pig floyd's yeah pig yeah floyd's is, right is, there. is yeah. opening in a collaboration with will's pub oh for yeah, that yeah, pizza yeah. place in yep. that parking lot so yep. it's occupado at the moment so that's mm -hmm. i think that's the main reason they did it 
um, behind 1010 this year, but I was out of town. I wasn't able to go, but I was super interested in it. I've seen it the past. It's This was the fourth year, so I've seen it the past three years as well. And um, I think what really brought it into my world was that I have a friend who is a makeup artist and I see her all the time posting on social media with these like beautiful girls and I'll click on their profile and it'll be like, oh, she has 300,000 followers on Instagram. Like, who are these people? And they're all pro wrestlers. Really? And I was kind of like, it, it was curious to me because, again, not knowing anything about pro wrestling, I was like, why are all these people in, Or in Orlando? Um, and with the Mayhem on Mills stuff and all this. So uh, I actually, at an event maybe two months ago, yeah, in May, I went to a fashion event at the Art Museum and uh, I was introduced to a young woman, Jessica Eliban, And she is a professional wrestler. Um, and so it was kind of like she came into my world a little bit, you know, and and uh, and I met her there. You manifested her. I absolutely You were wondering about wrestling. Well, no, no, no. Then, this was this, oh, this was, was prior. prior. Yeah. So it was just kind of all of these things like came together at the same time. I met this person and I just thought, okay, well, maybe I'll talk to her about it. And so we met at Drunken Monkey uh, one day a couple weeks ago and I just kind of said, I don't know anything, help me, you know, and and she talked me through it and yeah, there's there's the WWE Performance Center in Orlando um, and it's been there since like 2013. It's out by Full Sail, right? Mm, I don't, I have no idea. Yeah, I think, I I think no it's in East Orlando, yeah. Okay, um, but yeah, it's, it's brought like a huge population of mm -hmm. professional wrestlers here because that's where they go to train. Um, and during the pandemic, actually, that's where they filmed all the live right. events there and at the Amway eventually. Mm -hmm. um, and so Orlando has kind of become the epicenter of professional wrestling And I thought that was really interesting because it's, ex I've, like I said, I've lived here my whole life and it's existed sort of under my nose the entire time. Mm -hmm. And um, and of course, it was fashion and makeup that brought these things into my into my world. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, it, it was really interesting to sit with her and talk about it because I think as someone who I, I really am... I don't know if you could tell this about me by, you know, everything, but I'm really not into sports. Sports are not my thing. I start talking about sports. I will immediately dissociate. Like I have no interest in learning anything about sports. And so I guess I kind of put wrestling in that category of like, ugh, uh, I don't care. But she kind of changed my perspective in the way of like viewing it through the lens of performance art. Like it very much is. There's these storylines, um, obviously characters, characters yeah. the aesthetics are very important. Um, it can be choreographed. It's not always choreographed. Um, but I thought that was really interesting because, yeah, I've, I've always heard like, oh, professional wrestling's fake, blah, blah, blah. But it's not so much that it's fake. Everyone who watches it has some, no one thinks that these people are actually, you know, beefing or whatever. But I think it's the it's the pursuit of like, can we make them believe it? And, and, and that's, that's the art of it really. And, and it was really interesting to speak with her. And then I also spoke with uh, a guy named Daniel Drennan, who's one of the uh, organizers of Mayhem on Mills. And he's been a wrestler in Orlando for like, I think he said like 12 years. Um, and so, yeah, so it was really interesting to see from their perspective, like how important 
the mental part of it really is um and and how important the culture on and well i guess not on the ring in the ring in the ring and yeah. out of the ring uh really is to to their game and um and yeah so that was really interesting i think what what drew me into to wanting to talk to them even more about it was when I was speaking with Jessica at uh, that event at the art museum, I asked her like, Oh, do are you with, you know, WWE? That's the only one I knew at the time. And she's like, Oh no, she, she used to be, she was recruited by them, um, moved here specifically for that. And after a few years, she actually decided to end her contract and go independent. And Daniel Drennan is also an independent wrestler. And I'm, I'm sure this isn't the terminology they use, but like the idea of a freelance wrestler is like so funny to me. Yeah. Like, because like, you can just get on the phone and hire them right. to wrestle someone, you know? Right. Like yeah. a wow. contracted wrestler, you know? It's like, uh, are you going door to door? What does that mm-hmm. look like in the luchador mask? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was it's funny. It, it's interesting. And, and to see that there's like a culture for that it's kind of full circle because you have the the highest form of that which is the wwe here in orlando and then you also have this like indie scene that has existed here forever um and it's just people who love the medium and uh and want to keep working in it and don't maybe want to associate with those bigger organizations or they have other priorities you know obviously if you're on contract with with a huge wrestling promotion, um, there's going to be expectations uh, of you. And, and some of these people have expressed that, that maybe that was a bit too much. And so being able to go quote unquote freelance, uh, and book themselves and be their own, you know, agent marketing person while, while it's a lot more work in that regard, the level of control that you're given over your life and over, over your art, is uh more important to those people so i it opened up like a whole new world to me i had never even thought about any of that so do they do this full time or do they have a day job at you know working at a bank or something everyone i spoke to they're full-time wrestlers now they they daniel drennan was saying that if you want to be if you want that to be your sole income you're gonna have to be prepared to like travel um and obviously, like social media marketing is like a huge part of it now, too. Yep. Um, there's a lot of events in Orlando, in Florida in general. But to be making, you know, good money, you're going to be probably traveling all over the country, um, which, you know, isn't a bad thing. I think a sure. lot of these people still use Orlando as a home base because of the resources and the community that wrestling has here. Um but yeah, it's it's kind of that you have to fly the nest to to see what's out there and and to be successful. So, do you want to know what my wrestling name would be? Uh, now I do. Yeah, half squatch. Because I'm half Sasquatch. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It explains only, all the hair. Only half. Yeah. Well, three quarters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the hair On your pants. Side, you three quarter yeah, yeah. squatch okay. doesn't really squatch. make sense. <laughs> yeah. Don't you love? I hope. Well. I assume you love, but I hope you do love getting to know like just so many cool people since yeah. you've been writing for the paper Absolutely. and finding out so many cool stories. It's it- been crazy to like, 
there's people that I just never pictured myself having a reason to have a conversation yeah. with, you know? Yeah. And and it's so interesting. I've I've always loved people. That's why I got into doing hair, you know. I mm-hmm. I love obviously that aspect of it too, but my favorite part is always the conversations that I have with people and and so kind of I feel like that press pass gives you an excuse to be like, "Hey, you need to talk to me." You know. Yeah. So so it's been cool to hear everyone's stories and and delve a little bit deeper and I think we all kind of have us uh, an inherent bias towards our own opinions mm-hmm. and uh, going into these conversations, I try to remove myself from that, but it's, it's really cool how it has shaped my perspective in a lot of ways talking to these people, because you realize like all of these opinions, all of these kinds of people, all of these lifestyles exist here all at once. And, uh, and yeah, that's been really enlightening for me. I've really enjoyed it. And thank you for the opportunity. Well, we're so glad you came on board. Continue to enjoy it for hopefully a very long time. And that's it for this episode of The Community Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can read about all the stories we discussed at yourcommunitypaper.com. Pick up the July issue around town. You can find pickup locations on our website as well. And you can subscribe to the paper and get that good news delivered right to your door. On behalf of Debbie, Monica, and myself, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Community Podcast. Did you like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and tell your friends and family to do the same. Stay up to date on the latest news from the Community Paper by visiting yourcommunitypaper.com and follow them on social media. The show is produced by Nick Giorgudio. Learn more about starting your own podcast by visiting orlandopodcasting.com. What's your favorite part of being on a Zoom call? Is it the end? Yeah, I really yeah. have no, to say I think the, the end. end is awkward because it's it like is, you know, who's it, hanging it is, up. You know it what is I mean? awkward. But it's like bye, you're waving. Yeah. Me and then everyone there's like that call. silence before everyone yeah. they're trying to figure out the, the buttons. How is. do I yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. Not my favorite. My favorite part of a Zoom call is when uh people have technical difficulties and you have to stop the Zoom call. You're yeah. like, thank God. Or I'll try again later. You or know? when somebody oh, forgets when it's canceled. Yes, when it's canceled. Yeah. That's okay. that's the best part. So your favorite part is when it never when starts. When it doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Or when they forget that their husband's like walking in the background with a towel on or something because they forget that their person's on a Zoom call.